listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 237. What's going on, Mark? It's hot. Oh. And wet. <laughs> so for our audience members that aren't in the Gulf South of the U.S., we've had at least two weeks of constant daily rain, several inches probably a day, with humidities in the upper 90s and temperatures in the upper 90s. Well, I think Canada and the West Coast is feeling the pain. Yeah, poor Canadian brothers and sisters, y'all aren't used to this, are y'all? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome I, to our world. I saw a video of someone that said, from Canada, that said, hey, I know we sent our weather down earlier this year. Can y'all come get yours, <laughs> Texas, please? <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to see who's more impacted, us with our two days of freezing weather and, and with no electricity or, or Canada with their above 100 degree Fahrenheit, no air conditioning. Well, I've seen pictures of people's windows and their blinds have melted. Because it just wasn't designed for that. You know, not at all. Not at all. So, sorry. <laughs> That's all I got. Speaking of all you got, I think we got a review. Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a long one. It says, best podcast, five stars, Mark and Paige. Thank you guys for the stellar podcast. I'm the fuels compliance product quality attorney at my company, and I have found your podcast in February of 2020. I've been a devoted listener ever since. I even caught up on all the previous episodes as well. I can't believe you people do this. Seth, I, that's like 200 something episodes. Like that's a yeah, lot of listening. Yeah, that's a lot of listening. I left my private practice to join my company in January 2020. While there were some overlap in my previous area of practice, I quickly realized that I had very little experience in oil and gas world. Between your podcast, the unhealthy number of books <laughs> I purchased and read on refining and processing and the patience of many kind folks, I quickly learned. Thank you for providing such a great platform for those in the industry. Looking forward to meeting you guys at one of your live events in the near future. Seth Barefoot. Seth, we do these happy hour things here in Houston now. We actually sold out the rest of this year. Audience, if you want to do, if you want to sponsor one of the happy hours, the earliest you can get in, it'll be January of 2022, which just sounds weird. I know. But Seth, we'd love to see you there. If you can make it to come find Paige and I and come introduce yourself, we'd love to meet you in person. Yeah. So let's get on with the news stories. Let's do it. And of course, this is the hot part of the news, literally. <laughs> Pemex. No pun intended. Yeah. Well, no, maybe pun intended. Pemex comments on fire. Yeah. So anybody, unless you have zero access to the internet, has seen this by now. It was actually, the video was actually stunningly beautiful. What happened is Pemex had a natural gas pipeline that sprung a leak. And for about five hours, that natural gas came up, it got ignited. And so it was literally burning right at the surface of the ocean. It looked like a CGI effect from Star Wars or something. It, Honestly, it was, I've seen so many memes made of it with the Eye of Sauron. So. Yeah, and it was, it was a beautiful thing. Now, a couple things I want to talk about. So, so Pemex basically said, hey, this is what happened. We had a leak. We had an electrical storm, heavy rainfall. We lost a compressor and a turbo station. The leak caught on fire. We killed it with the valves at the bottom of the ocean floor. We flooded the pipeline with nitrogen according to protocol, put out the flyer, everything's fine. But there's a whole bunch of stuff that people are talking about that, number one, they don't know what they're talking about. Number two, there's some bigger things that are important that people aren't talking about. 
So first thing, it, it wasn't oil, it was natural gas, right? which natural gas is natural, people. It comes from the earth. And so by this gas burning, it was actually breaking down the natural gas molecules so there was less pollution getting into the atmosphere because the gas was on fire. The second thing is it caught fire at the surface of the ocean where it had oxygen to burn. It wasn't burning underwater. Yeah. There's not enough oxygen to burn underwater. The third thing is it was burning in water, people. It was very safe. If you could think of the safest place to have a fire that took a while to get under control, it's in the middle of the ocean, right? And then you had a lot of people commenting on the fireboats that were pumping water saying, oh, they don't know what they're doing. They're not close enough. It's all an act. No, 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 no. Number one, they can't get too close to that fire because they didn't know what's going on. Number two, that right. fire generated heat. So the boats, besides spraying water to keep the fire contained, to keep the circle consistent, if you want to think of it that way, they also were spraying themselves and each other to keep the heat from getting too bad, right? right. So unless you understand how to work a fire control boat, don't comment on stuff like that, right? Yeah. So they did everything they were supposed to do. But Paige, there's something much bigger going on that I've talked about before. And unfortunately, this happened, and it's a perfect example. Fortunately, nobody got hurt and nobody died. But this is a perfect example of what's happening as – because this platform was developed by Shell. It was a joint venture, right? Was it? Yes. This okay. is a perfect example of what happens when a super major from either political pressure, economic pressure, or just plain business acronym decides to sell an asset to a company that is not as HS&E-versed as Shell, mm-hmm. right? So – Pemex should have known when they lost pressure on this. Pemex should have flooded that pipeline of nitrogen automatically. They didn't. Luckily, nobody was hurt. But as we go through time, and as companies like Shell and Chevron and Is that Exxon, a manned platform? Do you yeah, know? It was, a man, it was next to a manned platform. So the pipeline oh, okay. was just moving the natural gas back to shore. They had a separate pipeline that was moving the crude back to shore, right? Okay. I was asking because I know there's a lot of H2S out there. So. Uh, by far, yeah. yeah. And so- you know, as companies like Exxon and Shell and Chevron get pressured to get rid of assets, don't think that they're, that they're just going to sit there. Other companies will pick it up. Now, Paige, if you had to think about the ESG compliance regulations that are in the companies, oil and gas companies, say China and Russia or Mexico right, uh-huh. or South America, and please no hate mail people, do you think that they worry more about the environment than the American and the European super majors or do you think they worry less about the environment? Less. Less. So naturally, we're going to see more of this sort of stuff happen. You know, Shell's looking at divesting itself of all its Permian assets. Don't think that they're going to sell it and they're just going to sit there empty. So another operator is going to buy it. Luckily, here in the U.S., it will most probably be an American operator. But imagine if that same thing was happening in Africa and an African national oil company picked it up or a Russian nationalized oil company or a China nationalized oil company, right? So people, if you're really, really concerned about the environment, one of the best things you can do is make sure that the European and American super majors are involved. Our HSE records are exemplary. Yeah, we've had our problems, but we've moved the needle a very long way. And if something bad happens, not only do we tell, but we fix it. And unfortunately, if somebody would get hurt or even worse, we compensate their families for that. You don't see that in the rest of the world. So luckily here, nobody was hurt. It was quite a fire show uh, right before the 4th of July. And, you know, hopefully Pemex has learned their lesson a little bit. And next time this thing happens, maybe they'll have some automation in place that will keep that fire from igniting at all. But, you know, just glad that nobody got hurt. Yeah. So the next one is Hurricane Center issues advisories and more. It's hurricane season, y'all. And Elsa's hitting Florida right now. Right now as we speak. So the thing about the hurricane, most of the world, about half the world calls it cyclones, not hurricanes. It's the same storm. It just depends on what side of the equator you're on, north or south. The thing about here in the Gulf of Mexico is we have the perfect breeding grounds for hurricanes to strengthen. So they tend, if you watch what happens, they tend to come into the Gulf of Mexico 
as whatever level storm. And then depending on where they move, as long as they stay over the warm water, they grow in strength and intensity. And that's where the danger is. So even though a lot of the drilling and production platforms in the Gulf of Mexico are designed to handle those storms, they decrew them. And so when they decrew them, production stops or drilling stops as it should. And so one of the things that we're facing moving, you know, we're right past the halfway point of this year of 2021. One of the things we're facing is an increase in demand, which is good. Prices are going up, but we have to make sure we can keep supply steadily moving. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later with OPEC. So let's just keep our fingers crossed that we don't have a horrendous hurricane season here in the Gulf because of all times for us not to be able to produce from the Gulf of Mexico, it shouldn't be this year. This should be the year where we can produce as much as we can and keep up with, with demand. Yeah. So the next one is Bessie revises maximum daily civil penalty fine regs. Do you have any input on that? Do you think it was a good thing? So this happens pretty much every year or every couple of years. I guess the whole thing is really don't get a civil penalty. Right. You don't have to pay it. And those are the highest ones you pay. You know, you if you don't take care of your incidents of noncompliance, you're going to get hit with a civil penalty. If it's not taken care of appropriately, you haven't notified the Bessie district office, let them know that you need a, an extension or whatever. But the cool thing about this, so they went up on the fines, which nobody likes, but like to Paige's point, don't get fined, right? Do what you're supposed to do. Yeah. The other thing I thought was really cool is I didn't realize how many inconsistencies there were in, in the rules and regulations between Bessie and Onar, which is the uh, Office of Natural Resources. Yeah, Office of Natural Resources. It's all under the Department of Interior. What's cool is they've now streamlined so there's not inconsistencies in the rules and regulations. Good. Which is what needs to happen. That right. way you don't get fined twice for the same infraction. And at the same time, if there's bad operators out there or companies that aren't operating safely or environmental responsibility, this lets them hit them quicker and harder with fines, right? So I actually think this is a good thing. It's I don't mind fines going up that actually protects people's lives and property and the environment. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. All right. So Patterson UTI Energy to acquire Pioneer Energy Services in a $295 million deal. So this happened, what, two days ago, I believe? I believe so. Yeah. And so the funny thing, my phone lit up and everybody's going, the operators emerge. And I go, what the hell are y'all talking about? They go, Pioneers is a merchant Patterson. I go, Pioneer Energy Services is a <laughs> <Service>. drilling contractor. <laughs> <laughs> Not pioneer natural resources. So our industry is funny. It's we have companies that do totally different things that have the same name, Noble Energy and Noble Drilling. Please, well, one of y'all change y'all's name. Even I get confused. Well, sometimes. one just got acquired, Mark. Who just got didn't somebody just get acquired or something? Oh, so I did buy Noble Drilling. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fixed. Yeah. Check. Anyway, <laughs> take me 10 years to get that out of my head. But anyway, so this is pretty cool. So basically, two drilling contractors, it's not a merger. They're called a merger. One drilling contractor assumed the other one by yeah, acquiring basically. all of their debt and buying their stock. And so now Patterson will own over 160 super spec rigs in the United States. Over half of those rigs run on alternative fuel supplies, which I think is pretty cool. They capture a big market share in Colombia, which I didn't know there's a lot of drilling going on in Colombia right now, but evidently there is. And then the other thing is Pioneer had a fantastic well-service business. So not just running the drill ships, but going up and doing maintenance and repair. So I think this is good for everybody. The nice thing is, Paige, they don't expect to be hardly any layoffs because it's the only layoffs that's going to happen is the duplicate services like payroll, marketing, HR type of stuff. But because the industry's picking up and drilling's picking up, this is good timing. And it's going to allow more higher horsepower, more modern rigs to get out there, which then increases safety. And increases production, which is what we need. Exactly. All right. TC Energy files $15 billion NAFTA claim for a canceled Keystone XL pipeline. 
TC Energy, if OGGN can help you with this, let me know. This <laughs> I don't is know how we would help them, but we can publicize this. Well, we got about two million people listen to us. <laughs> 195 different countries. We got a little bit of reach there. Without you know the story. Keystone Pipeline was an infrastructure project allowing us to move the heavy crude from Canada down the Gulf Coast, which we desperately would rather buy it from Canada than the Middle East or Venezuela. It became a political project instead of an infrastructure project. It was off and on, off and on, off and on, off and on, blah, blah, blah. And so what's happened is TC Energy is saying, look, you violate your own national agreement you made between countries by doing this, and we want our money back. And I, I 100% support them. In fact, they ought to go for more than $15 billion. It is ridiculous that something that was an infrastructure project that provides cheap, reliable, abundant energy to not only the U.S. population, but literally in the world when you start thinking about the exports that we do, was killed over politics. And the politics have gotten just as bad in Canada as, as it is here now around this. And so this thing is dead. The other thing that nobody realizes, in the intermediary time, while they were trying to build this pipeline, and there, are, there was not other pipelines to move that crude, that crude is still being moved. It's going to be moved no matter what, but it's being moved by rail and truck, which is super in dangerous for the environment. And so what's happened now is a bunch of other pipelines have been built to handle this constraint. And so even if they wanted to relaunch the Keystone Pipeline, the business drivers aren't as strong. The money to made basically isn't there like it was before because now there's other pipelines that can take that, do a takeaway. So 100% support TC Energy suing the U.S. government for $15 billion. Get I hope it. they win. Get it. All right. So the next one is drill, baby, drill. Biden administration wants more OPEC oil. I don't even know where to start. With this, <laughs> right. So right out of the gate when he's elected, he does whatever he can to kill American production. For the first time since the 50s, we were energy independent. And yes, people, I know we were still importing oil, but the 20 million barrels of oil that we were importing was balanced almost perfectly for about three weeks with the 20 million barrels that we were exporting, <laughs> which was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it was, you know, we're importing this heavy, complex crude that most countries can't handle, so it's not super valuable to them, but it's super valuable to us because we can refine it and other countries can't. And at the same time, we're exporting our sweet light crude, which is ridiculously easy to refine, so other countries could benefit from that. And so the Biden administration has screwed all that up. And now, because the price of the pump's going up, and no matter what side you're on politically, when people start complaining about the price at the pump, they want it to go down. And so what the Biden administration is doing is saying OPEC increased production. We have the damn oil here. <laughs> literally in our literally in our backyard, right? And you know, and all this is doing is to my point again is the demand for oil and gas will never go away. All you're gonna do is shift who provides it. And quite honestly, as an American, as a very proud and patriotic American, I'd rather be American producing oil and gas instead of us importing crude from other countries. That gives them political strength over us. You know, it was not that long ago, what, 35, 40 years ago when OPEC formed and we had the 70s oil embargo crisis, right? Where you couldn't fill up your car. Right. That's not that far away, people. So I don't even know what to say to this. You know, reach out to your local politicians. It's past the point of being ridiculous. And the fact is, there are a lot of people out there that are supporting this move saying, well, then we're not, we don't have to worry about pollution. That's here. because and nobody knows how anything freaking works. No. And so it's, geez, you know? And so we're going to get into what's going on with OPEC a little bit later. But, you know, OPEC increase in production to feed the U.S. or Russia increase in production to feed the U.S. is not good for the U.S. It's actually not good for the world, but it's definitely not good for us. Well, speaking of a little further down the line, OPEC's non-decision raises specter of oil markets awash in excess supply. So this happened a few years ago. Basically, it's two countries, Saudi Arabia and the UAE, going, you know what? I want it my way or the highway. They drew this line. And they're staring down each other in production, which actually then hurts the rest of OPEC. The 
beauty of OPEC is that it's a cartel. And when they decide as a group to go up on production or go down on production, they do it, which helps them control the prices of the market, just like De Beers does with diamonds. No, no, nothing new there. But right now, Saudi Arabia and UAE are bickering. Last time this happened, UAE had threatened to walk away from OPEC. And I've been saying for years that OPEC has been destabilized. This is another example of that. If they can't figure out what they're going to do with production, you can see prices keep going up. And the, the problem is people, and you think I'm crazy. I just look, we're at $72.41 today at, for WTI. We're getting close to 80. And that 80 is that scary number for me and for a lot of other people to understand what's going on where U.S. production will go up. And we're still not at the point where global demand's anywhere where it needs to be. If we hit go above 80, the U.S. producers are going to start producing. We're going to flood the market again. The prices are going to drop like we, we saw back in 2014, 2015. And we don't want it to go there. Nope. So short term wise, I hope UAE and Saudi Arabia kiss and make up. I hope they agree on a slight production increase to get the prices down, although that would just fit right in with Biden's request for them to do that, which bothers me a lot. You know, if we can keep below 80, I'm good with 75, I'm good with 78, let's just not get to 80. However, if they don't come to agreement, if they don't look at increase in production, the finances aren't quite there yet for the U.S. to start producing a lot. And so we may see a temporary spike page over $100 a barrel. That scares the crap out of me, right? So there's a balancing point here, and part of this balancing point is based upon two countries fighting over production numbers. Let's hope they come to some type of agreement, whether it's a negotiated agreement when they split it in the middle or one of them just threatens the other one more. <laughs> back down. <laughs> Let's hope they come to some type of agreement so OPEC can increase production just enough to keep it below $80 a barrel. Okay. So Total Energies partners with Uber. It's going to take me 10 years to remember that it's not called Total anymore, Total Energies. At least they kept Total in the name. This is interesting. So basically, Total is partnering with Uber with the long-term strategy that the Uber drivers will eventually drive either hybrid or pure electric vehicles that will be refueled with electricity generated by Total Energies and distributed through their electric vehicle recharging stations, which they're now trying to form a network around, right? So very interesting. Won't pay off until the future. But the whole network, the loyalty program is fascinating to me because if you think about it now, you know, if, if I go to fill up my car at the gas station, I, I typically go to Sam's, right? It takes me, from the moment I pull up and get out, get my wallet out, pump the gas, get back in my car, even to fill my car, it probably takes me 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, right? Yeah. It's not like that with an electric vehicle. So when you pull up in the future or maybe even well, now. Well, you're going to have to plug it in, sit for a couple hours, right? Right. So what does that make the convenience store look like? Pretty large. Maybe it's not a convenience store. Oh. Maybe it's a movie theater with short movies and you recharge your car. Maybe it's a quick dine place where you recharge your car. Maybe it's a hair salon where you quick charge your car. It's could totally change. I'm not going to get my hair done while I'm charging <laughs> well, my car. You're saying that this is a totally different business model that nobody's ever done for. So it's all unknown. But I think one of the reasons that Total Energies is looking at this, especially in France, especially since they're building this network, I think the future is not so much – the electric vehicles are them providing electricity. It's the network of the whatever the new convenience stores are going to be, right? There's going to be a lot of money to be made there. The money is not going to be made on the electricity that your car is sitting there recharging. It's going to be made by what you're doing to entertain yourself while you wait there for two hours, right? Yeah. So very interesting approach. And Uber smits right smack in the middle of that. What, if you get rid of the cars, what is Uber? It's a network that provides value. You open up your network app, right? And you get something you need, which is transportation. So long-term wise, I think this is really, really smart. Now, of course, neither Uber or Total reached out to me and shared any of their secrets. This is me doing my best guessing based upon a whole bunch of stuff, including a little bit of insider information that I can't talk about too much. But I think this is a cool move. Let's see where it goes. Okay. 
Let's see. So the unintended consequences of punishing big oil. Yep. That's exactly what I was talking about earlier. Basically, it's a good article saying that as the super majors move their operations or abandon some of their operations because of political pressure, the people that are going to step in will be the nationalized oil companies, the Pemexes, the Sinox, the Rostoffs of the world, right? And they don't have the same dedication to health, safety, and environment that we do. And, and please right. no hate mail. I, I know there are people that work in Pemex. I, I know them personally in Petrobras and Rothschild and you know any of the national oil companies. I know they really care about the people and the safety, but it's measured and the enforcement is different than it is here in the U.S. and Europe. And, and quite frankly, I think the way we do it here in the U.S. and Europe is the gold standard, right? right. Where we want zero incidents. It's, it's not a fallacy. It's not some, something we just say. We know that we can have zero incidents and still run a safe operation. Right. We don't accept anything other than that. And that's where everybody else is trying to get to. But this article is about how activists are punishing the super majors and causing them to change the way they do business. The demand for the crude that the super majors produce isn't going to go away. The demand will still be there. And what will happen is most probably is a nationalized oil company will come in that's run by governments, not by business people, and take up the slack. And so by punishing Exxon and Shell, you're actually most likely long-term wise, and I say long-term wise, I'm talking about like five years, you're most likely adding more negative impact to the environment, more negative impact to your workforce, right? So I'm not sure how much CNOC worries about discrimination, sexual harassment, any of that sort of stuff, but I guarantee it's less than what happens here, Yeah, you know? And so this is just not a good place where all this stuff is going and nobody thinks about this sort of stuff. And it's just, it's a darn shame that- shareholders are now accepting this as okay when they shouldn't. You know, what happened just recently with Exxon, you should not have people sitting on the board of Exxon that do not understand the oil and gas industry. That's just not good for business. It's not good for the safety or the well-being of the public or the shareholders. So once again, if you want to read about the unintended consequences of punishing big oil, check this article out. All right. So the next one kind of pertains to my favorite story of the year. The name of this article is, This is Our Independence Day. So big shout out to Brett. What Brett's Barthel? Remember Brett's last Barthel. name? Barthel. Barthel, yeah. I don't know if you're listening, Brett, but he sent me this personally. So Bulwark, which is the largest manufacturer of FR clothing in the world and a past sponsor of ours and a company that we really like, mm-hmm. caught a lot of flack because their parent company, VF, also owns North Face. And we don't need to go down that road again other than... Have you seen some of the cool stuff that Chris Wright has been putting out lately? (laughs) (laughs) North Face is going to put a contract, a hit contract out on him because it's really good. It's funny, but it's built with facts. And that combination of facts and humor is is great, the way to tell a story. And if you don't know the story, basically one of VF's companies, which is North Face, would not fulfill an order – from an oil and gas service company because they weren't supporting crude. They don't support the oil and gas industry. Come to find out, what is it? 91% of all of their products are made with the hydrocarbons. It might be 95, to yeah. be honest. And so it was a bad place for Bulwark to be, right? They were associated with North Face because of their parent company, but they have a different culture, a different atmosphere. They love the oil and gas industry. We know that for a fact. We've met with them. We've interviewed their people. We've hung out with them. We've broken bread with them. And so when this happened and Brett sent me this thing, it was awesome. It's like, you know what? We're finally away from this. We're with another group of companies that celebrate the prosperity of the oil and gas industry. We don't have to worry about stupid politics from other sides. So congratulations, Bulwark. And they've got a great women's line. They have a fantastic women's line. And actually, I'm glad you brought that up, Paige. So if you don't know this, if you're in flame-resistant clothing for work, FRs is what you hear the industry call them, they have to fit your body right. If they don't fit your body right, you run a chance of getting injured. And so women's bodies, of course, are shaped differently in men's. And so Bork has the largest selection of FR clothing for women. And 
So it's kind of nice looking. It is nice looking. I can verify that. I have been in the back room. I have seen all the cool stuff they have. Oh, we've seen their labs. Everything. Their manufacturing facilities. So if you're looking out for FRs, now that Bulwark is not associated with VF, go buy Bulwark FRs. Yes, absolutely. 100% endorse it. All right. That's all the articles, Mark. All the articles. Yeah, I guess now we need to pimp out this shirt. We're going to talk about that in the next show, most probably. But for this show, we do need to pimp out the shirt. But before we pimp out the shirt, we have another happy hour going on, don't we? We do. It's the last Thursday of this month. Well, this month in Houston, pay attention to our social media. I think the invites just went out. They should be hitting LinkedIn. Yeah, I got it earlier today. So, yeah. yeah. Our last one was a fantastic success. If you don't know, we have great food. Great alcohol. We do a little great alcohol. Is there such thing as bad alcohol, Mark? No, but Carbach, who's our official beer sponsor, makes some of the best beer in the world. (laughs) It's it's great alcohol. (laughs) Okay. And so we have a little panel discussion always around something interesting. The oil and gas industry is a networking event as well. So if you didn't make the last one, come to this one. And we take a portion of our proceeds and donate to Red M to fight human sex trafficking. So you're also helping the world. So last Thursday of this month, pay attention to our social sign up before we sell out because this one I'm sure will sell out. Now it's time to pimp our shirt. Okay, go ahead. So you had a chance to win one of these shirts. They're really cool. That Each one is instantly collectible because they have a unique serial number. So we give away one a week. If you haven't won one, you can enter every week. And we're getting ready to do some really cool stuff. I know I keep saying that, but trust me, I finally got budget from IBM. So go check the shirts out. If you actually wear one to one of our happy hours, come find me and I'll give you a $50 Amazon gift certificate. Now I have to remind you to buy a $50 Amazon gift certificate. Yeah, but what people don't know is now we have Amazon coming back. Oh, that's true. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. Yes. Speaking Uh, of talk about later, what's that rig count thing doing? Let's see. So the United States has 475, so we're up five from the last count. Canada has 136, and we're up 10 from last time. And internationally, 758, up eight. That's good. Good place to be. Yeah, there's only one in the negative, and that's the change from last year, and that's internationally. So we're down 23 from last year, which is not bad. Not bad. Speaking of not bad, our webmasters <laughs> have been at work feverishly on our gazillion websites all around the, oh, the intranets. So if you notice things change, and it's a good thing. If you notice, each show has a website, and those websites now are starting to look the same, now starting to act the same. So a little bit of patience. If you need to send us a question for the first Friday Q&A, probably the best thing to do for now is go to OGG and, and fill out the question there. You still can go to oilandgasthisweek.com and ask a question there as well, but things are being updated. And we got a bunch of really good questions this month for we uh, have first a ton. Yeah. We have a ton, so stay tuned. Yeah, we have a ton, and that's the ones I'll let you see. <laughs> we, we have stuff that just gets deleted immediately. But speaking of stuff that's not deleted immediately, if you'd like myself, any of our experts to come speak at your event, we just came back from Denver a couple of weeks ago, had a great time there at Crossfire. Let us know. We'd happy to share the details. Live events to pick it up, people, and it's a blast. Yes, I'm excited. And I spoke about First Friday Q&A. Each month, we answer your questions. Remember, the goal is not to stump Paige and I. The goal is to help educate our audiences. So feel free. And if we use your question on there, you get a big shout out. Paige, you ready to get out of here? Yes. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here's Savannah with Events on Deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the Events on Deck for July 2021. This month, we have five events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're always interested in staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. 
This month, OGGN will be hosting our monthly happy hour at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on July 29th. Our June happy hour was a hit, so if you weren't there for the June one, we hope to see you there this month at our July happy hour. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts and network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. Don't forget that it's on July 29th. Other than OGGN's events, we have two in-person and two online events. First up, we have our two in-person events. The first one being the Doug Permian and Eagle Ford Conference at the Fort Worth Convention Center from July 12th to July 14th. And the next in-person event is the SPE International Data Science Convention at the Norris Convention Center in Houston, Texas on July 8th. Next, we have our two online events. The first being a Cognite webinar titled, From Buzzwords to Boardrooms, What Energy Leaders Really Think About the Transition Towards True Sustainability. And that's on July 8th from 11.30 to 12.30. And lastly, we have the US Africa Energy Forum, which is online on July 12th. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for July. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.